now. So you'll notice that from that old video. But I wanted to use that this morning to, to launch a new series that we're starting today. Because it has the same idea that we've been talking about for centuries, maybe. About being more like Christ. That's pretty much all this, this boils down to. And in here, we've, we've got the, less, uh, the scripture that my brother read for me here. And the one line in there that, that we're kind of jumping off from is verse 41. Whoever shall force you to go one mile, what does Jesus say? Go two. Instead of just going one, we get to go two. And so this, this series is going to be, be titled Beyond the First Mile because Jesus is saying... If, if he's asking you to go a mile, here, here in this case, you're going to be compelled to go a mile. This is, this is not a choice to go one mile. The choice comes after that first mile. So beyond the first mile is where the choices get a little tougher. I'm compelled here, if, if I'm this guy here that Jesus is talking to, these people here, uh, we, we got to do what that Roman soldier says, hey, you, you take my stuff, carry this for me. You got to do it. But I only have to do it to a certain degree. But Jesus is saying, I want you to take that attitude and I want you to go another mile. And how many people in here think that Jesus is saying, you just stop at two? He's probably not saying, at two, you're done. Drop it, move on. It's, it's, it's not so much a mile calculating thing here as a, this is the kind of attitude I want you to have. This is the spirit I want you to have. This is the heart I want you to have. That you'll go past that one mile. You might even go past two miles. You might carry it with him many miles. That's what we're looking at here. And to, to start off, I want you to go back in that same chapter, if you've already got your Bibles open, to the first 12 verses of that chapter. This is where we're going to start in the Beyond the First Mile series. We're going to look at our Savior very briefly and then we're going to look at our identity because of who our Savior is. So people that go beyond the first mile, here is something that Jesus says. This is the true design for life. If you want to know what life should look like, Jesus is about to tell everybody here and us, this is what life should look like. This is the true design for life. You've gone off, off the rails a long time ago. Adam and Eve set you on a course of destruction and death. But here is the true design for life. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying... Now let's stop there for just one second. Because... What is the most powerful example in the New Testament for you? When, when you think of this is how I should live as a Christian, what's the most powerful thing? Love, okay. Did I hear somebody else say something over here? Jesus himself. But well, there you go. That's what I was looking for. Jesus himself, because it has love. He has love, right? Jesus himself is the most powerful example of, of what life should look like. Because, yeah, if Jesus is in us, then that love that you're talking about, we're going we're gonna to try and, and have that same love that Jesus had. 
We'll try and have the same spirit that Jesus had, the same spirit of giving, of loving, of, of caring, all of that. So Jesus is the most powerful example that we have to follow in the Bible, period, because he shows us who God is. He shows us what God wants. He shows us what we can truly be. A life that goes beyond the first mile is molded after Jesus. It's molded after his call to service. It's molded after his heart. It's molded after his life because he has that servant's heart. He has that servant's mindset. He came to serve and not be served. So he's going to set a standard here for what a true design for life looked like. And people who are intentionally trying to go beyond the first mile, which is you and I as Christians, we intentionally are trying to go beyond the first mile Jesus says, this is what you look like. He opens his mouth in verse 2 and he says to them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, there's, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff in here that we could go through, and you could probably, you could spend, like I've said before, on, on tiny bits of Scripture, you could spend years on them, right? And, and this is no exception. This is a phenomenal piece of Scripture. And inside this, there's, there's two big sections for me. There's, there's the section that, that refers to God, and then there's a the section that refers to others. And I'll, I'll, I'll break those down for you as we go through these. There's also three things, I think, that, that I want you to kind of hang your hat on this morning. If you're writing things down, you can write, try and write this down as fast as I say it. So I, I want you to pay attention to three things. Two of them are in the first section, and one of them is in the last section, and I'll explain that as we go through. The first two are people that go beyond the first mile are people that need to recognize the worldly identity his claim has on our lives well, let me, let me rephrase that. Here we go. Need to recognize the worldly identity his claim on our lives demands we let go. Does that make sense? No. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Need to recognize the worldly identity, okay, that his claim on our life demands that we let go. We have a worldly identity. But he's going to make a claim on our life. And if he claims our life as beyond the first mile people, then we need to let go of some things. We need to let go of this worldly identity that we have on our own. I'm defined by who I am, what I make. No, I'm defined by Jesus Christ. So the first thing in the first section of this, the God section for me, is I need to figure out that my worldly identity, if, if I have this identity and Jesus lays claim on my life, then I've got to let go of some of that worldly identity, all of that worldly identity. That's not me anymore. Does that make it, did that clear it up? Is it clear? Okay. All right. Number two, in that same section, we have to look deeply at the identity marker Christ calls us to take on. So not only do I need to, 
to recognize God has, Jesus has a claim on my life, but now I need to look at that claim deeply and figure out what that means for my life. So what do I look like? If I am getting rid of the worldly part, what does that mean I look like? How do I look like him? And how do I put that into my life? How does that play out when I'm just in my daily, like you said, Carl, life? When I'm driving down the road, how does that play out? When I'm at the store, how does that play out? When I'm at work, what does that look like? That's the second thing for that first section. The third thing, which will come in the last section, and I'll go over that again when we get there, but it says we must need or we must learn to see how wearing the beyond the first mile identity will impact those around us. Because the last part of that, that the Beatitudes section here, I think, deals with if you look like this, then this is your behavior with other people. This is how you're going to look to other people. So I need to learn how wearing that identity impacts people around me. And I think this, this is the stuff that is going to lay, I hope, the foundation for the rest of the series because the next part of it will, will deal with part of the, these ideas. If we are called to be like Christ, then what are we giving up? And how deeply, looking at that deeply, what does that mean for my life? And then, okay, so my life looks like this. Now, how does that impact other people? How does that influence other people? And I I think all of those things, these three things, will be carried through, I think, the entire series. But I think it's foundational here in in the Beatitudes, which is why I wanted to start here because the first three, or first, well, four, first four here, around four, are having to do with God, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the gentle, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think this is, this is the God section. This is, this is everything about him. This is about the beyond the first mile person is poor in spirit. Because what does the world call us to be as, as people? What does the world tell you you need to be? Rich, powerful, independent, right? In fact, our American identity is very independent. We're Americans. We can do whatever we want. We're, we're, we're strong. We can, we're inventors. We're all of this. We're, the world calls us to be independent, self-reliant. But for people who are going beyond the first mile, what do we know we really are? Yeah, dependent. We, we're not independent. We are actually dependent people. But our, I'm going to say that, I wish I could write this out for you. Our independence, like, you know, Fourth of July independence, our independence comes from complete dependence on him. Without complete dependence, we don't have our independence. But my identity is not, I can do that myself. I am poor in spirit. Everybody is poor in spirit, which means everybody recognizes, at least Christians recognize, their deepest need is only met in God, in Christ, and that everybody actually has that same deepest need, whether we recognize it or not, whether they recognize it or not, we all have that same deep need, which is for Jesus Christ himself, and that same deep need leads you to the mourning part, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, the world says be independent, right, make your own way, but it also says, hey, don't worry about what's wrong or right. Do whatever you feel like. Do what feels right for you. Self-indulgent. But that's not who we are. That's a power position. But those who go beyond the first mile, 
are not people who are, are saying, indulge in whatever you want. In fact, no, when we see sin, it hurts. When we sin, it hurts. We mourn for that. And, and it only becomes because we are poor in spirit, right? If, you, if you're not poor in spirit, then I don't think the mourning actually happens either. If I don't recognize that my, my need comes from, or my needs are only met in God, my dependence on Him is what will change my life, then I can actually mourn the things that would separate me from Him and mourn the sin that would separate me from Him and be willing to see that sin and say, no, I, I don't want that sin because that's separating me from the one that is giving me life because I can't give myself life. If I'm poor in spirit, I understand that. That poor leads to mourning, which leads to the, the next one. Blessed are the gentle or the meek, if your translation says that. Blessed are the meek. People without God don't allow themselves to be molded. And it doesn't feel good to be molded most of the time. It's, it's tough. It, it hurts. He's going to move you around. But beyond the first mile, people are people that are sensitive to God's molding. But we're sensitive to God's molding because we've recognized that we are poor in spirit and we are mourning the sin. And we're going to say, okay, I might think I have all the power here in this situation and I can do what I want with my life. But no, really you do what you want with my life and then I'll become what you want me to be. But that's going to hurt. You're going to have to mold me and shape me. These are people that are patiently waiting to see Jesus, that are, that are patiently waiting to be molded by him and working with him to be molded by him. And all of those three things line up together. Then you go to verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Where does the recognizing I can't do it myself, being sorry for my sin, willingly letting myself be molded, lead to? It leads to this desire for God's word. I think it's, it's culminated in all the ones before it here. Our world would love to go to the next pleasure, the next thrill. And we've probably all been there before. Where you love to go to the next thr thrill, the next pleasure. But there's, a, there's a good quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, I think, The Screwtape Letters. Where he says that an ever-increasing sin, it, it, it requires an ever-increasing, you know, as soon as I said I'd quote, I knew I'd lose it. The idea is that as you sin, there's an ever-increasing desire for more. And that ever-increasing desire is never quite fulfilled or accomplished because it can't accomplish what God can accomplish. It only destroys. It does not give life. And so that ever-increasing desire for the wrong gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's killing you faster and faster and faster. This ever-increasing desire for righteousness and hungering after God's word is this desire to find him, which leads to life. It's the exact opposite. Go home today and look at that quote for me and C.S. Lewis. <laughs> it's a good one. It's, it's a very good one. And it reminds me every time of the opposite. If we want to be constantly filled then what do we need to fill ourselves with? With righteousness, with, with God, with Jesus Christ, with his word. All of these things lead to the next section. See, I think 3, 4, 5, and 6 here are dealing with our relationship with God. But then you go from Jesus saying, okay, here's how the beyond the first mile people live with me, live with God. 
And then this is how you look when you live with God. This is how you look when your spirit is, is in tune with mine. Because the next three, seven, eight, and nine, he's saying your people relationships are going to change in your life. So that's where the first two, you know, finding out Jesus has a claim on my life. Okay, so I have to let go of these things. And letting go of these things, I need to look deeper into these things because it should be this ever-increasing desire for these things and seeing how that plays out in real life. But that also leads me to 7, 8, 9, which is, if I'm living like this, what is my impact on other people going to look like? What are my relationships going to look like? How are people going to see me? And that's where, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy comes into play. Selfish lives are what we lead when we don't seek God. And and people in the world can be unselfish to a certain degree, I think. But true selflessness comes from releasing and, and living for God. Showing true mercy, I think, also comes from finding the mercy that you've received from God. We live, we get our deepest satisfaction from Him. It's, in fact, it's just the, I know I've used this one many, many times, but Ephesians 4.32, as Paul is saying, here's how you live this new life. When he's telling them at the very end of that chapter, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Can you guys finish that verse? Forgiving each other. even as God in Christ forgave you. Those just as, my, my version has just as, even as, it's, it's those just as verse, verses that, that, that get me sometimes. That Jesus is saying, Paul through Paul, and the Spirit is saying through Paul, hey, you get to forgive others just like God forgave you. That's, a, that's, that's an awesome responsibility and an and a awesome task for me to do. And that says this merciful part is, is me. I've received this mercy. I, I've been that poor in spirit guy. I, I've mourned. I, I, am, I am giving my life to be molded by God. I'm desiring his word and, and his life to be filled with mine and mine with his. So now I turn around and I show to you the same mercy that you show or that God showed to me. That's that beyond the first mile person. We go beyond that first mile where... Mercy stops at mile marker one. No, mercy continues. And it continues. It continues for me, so it continues for you. Which leads to the pure in heart. Merciful people are that pure in heart people, too. Unfiltered, unpolluted people. Pure in heart, for they shall see God. And what do we see as we are pure in heart people? What do you see in your life? Do you see God moving in your life? Has anybody seen God moving in their life this week? Amen. It'd be interesting to hear what the yes is, why you're saying yes. I would love to hear why God, how God is moving in your life. If God's not moving in your life, maybe we're not paying attention enough or maybe we're not connected to him enough. But there, there's, God is moving in each one of our lives some way, shape, or form. And these pure in heart people are seeing this type of movement. Maybe it's like back to verse 7. Maybe you've had a chance to show mercy to somebody. And you see God moving in your life to them to extend that mercy that you've, ex- you've been extended. But God should be moving and, and, and shaping our lives 
We're called to treat others with the same purity that he treats us with. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. What, what is this peacemaking referring to, do you think? Anybody got any ideas peacemaking here? If you're a peacemaker? I know that's a very open-ended question. It's probably tough to answer this morning. But I'm prepared to wait. <laughs> Try to calm the fight down. If you have a fight in your household, get it under control. Get yourself under control. Mm-hmm. And calm everything down and be peaceful. Calm it down. Calming everything down, fighting in your home, calming it down. Being someone who, who does that on a regular basis in your home or at work or... At your next road rage, um, wherever that happens. Anybody else? What is this peacemaker? When you read, blessed are the peacemakers, what does that mean in your life? Maintaining peace. Maintaining, okay. Like Bill says? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it, a ceasefire. <laughs> yeah, some families, uh, you definitely have to call ceasefires. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Mediator, me, uh, mediator, or someone who can, can bridge a gap between one and the other, the two warring parties. Yeah, okay, that's good. Anybody else? Chip. That's a good question. How many congregations have split because there wasn't peacemakers in that congregation? <laughs> if they split, then yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you're right. Tom? Okay. An attitude of extending the peace that you've received to others around you. That's good. That's good. And, and I think, too... That this peacemaker, along with everything that you guys have said, the ultimate peace comes from what? Where does ultimate peace come from? From God. From our forgiveness of sins. From being put in a right relationship with Him. That's the ultimate peace. Because peace is not found outside of that relationship, right? So I, this peacemaker, I think, is it's it's bigger than just family. It's bigger than just coworkers. It's bigger than that. It's it's people who are out there showing people this is where true peace is. Amen. Let me let me be a, a person in between you and Jesus here. Let me let me introduce you to him. Let me introduce you to this guy, and let's stop the warring parties here between sin and life. And let's get you on the life side here. This is the true peacemaker, I think, is the one who carries these messages that he's just talked about to the people around him or her, around him or her. We are carrying that poor in spirit, that mourning, that, that meekness, that hungering and thirsting for righteousness with us. And because of that, we are merciful to people. And because of that, we are pure in heart and we show this purity. And... When we talk to people, we introduce them to the true peacemaker, Jesus Christ himself. And we say, this is where true peace comes from. This is who gives true peace. I think we extend that to people. 
And by extension, we, do, we are the person, hopefully in the family, that, that calms fights down because that leads to nothing. We are the people in the congregations that say, we shouldn't split over this. We need to, we need to find a way to love each other and, and be with each other. We are that, that mediator between warring parties. And you know, uh, Robert, it, it goes back to what Paul said over in uh, Philippians 4 and verse number 7. And the peace of God has that understanding that keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. Yeah. That's good. And, that, and that, that immediately is followed by, hey, if, that, if your, your mind is set on peace, then these are the things you're dwelling on too. These honorable things, these, these beautiful things, these things you're dwelling on. And that, that's the kind of person that goes beyond the first mile. The person that carries that peace in them is going to make peace with others, but they're also going to show others where the true peace comes from and show them you can have this same peace in Christ Jesus. But... That's going beyond the first mile because a lot of times it takes a lot of effort to get there, doesn't it? Sometimes it takes a lot of effort to, to show people this true peace. Sometimes we get nervous about showing people true peace because maybe they don't want to hear it. But if we're living a life like this, then the beyond the first mile people, there, there is a natural flow of, let me introduce you to the one who gave me peace. And how do we? the first way we introduce them to Jesus Christ, the peacemaker, is by the other things that you see there, by how we're living. See, I don't want to boil these things down to you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, because that would just get into another one of those, let me check the box of being this, 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 and this. And that, that's not the kind of life that he's asking me to live. He's saying it's not a, it's not a what you do, it's a who you are. It's a, it's, a, it's a natural outflow of the, the persons that are in you, the, the Jesus that is in you, the spirit that is in you, God that is in you. And that's going to come out of you, and it's going to be this. It's going to look like this. This is the true design for life. Not just what we do, but who we are. I was trying to write something down in the back, and scri- I always scribble on my... You know, I, I print it out before I come, but then as I'm sitting down, there's always notes that I scribble on my sermon. Sometimes they change the whole sermon and sometimes they hopefully just add to the sermon. I was trying to write something down that just popped into my head about the doing and the being. I said the doing will come from the being. When we have the one being in our life that changes life, our being will change and will affect other beings. But that's just because we're being who we're called to be. In Him. It's the natural outflow of who's in us. And that's what He's saying here, I think. These beyond the free, the people that He's going to tell later, you don't just go one mile, you go with Him two. You go with Him two because this is the kind of person you are. You're following me, you're following Christ, then you're going to be that person. That's that beyond the first mile people. And as God transforms us into that mirror image of His Son, we are empowered to be the beyond the first mile people because without the Spirit in me, I am not going two miles with you. I don't even want to go one mile with you probably if I don't have the Spirit in me because there's no reason to. But I, as a person reborn in Christ, 
have the Spirit in me, which makes me want to go beyond that first mile, which helps me go beyond the first mile, which gives me power to go beyond the first mile because I don't want to go beyond the first mile without that. So this week, as we get into this new series, we're going to have a a guest speaker again next week. I'm going to be here, but I wanted him here because the two topics that are, it's a Memorial Day, number one, which is always significant. But it's also talking about a couple things in this, this line of thought that I thought his background could really lend to because he's ex-military. He knows what he's talking about military-wise. And I'm really hoping that he weaves some of that stuff through this lesson coming up. Because going beyond the first mile, when I think of military people, he's a man who has gone beyond that first mile in the military and has pushed past places that your normal mind would probably say, my normal mind would say, um, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That might kill me. This man's gone beyond that. And I think there's a lot of lessons in those things that can help us see how soldiers of Christ go beyond the first mile. And that, that you, you've already heard from him. He's, he's CJ. He's CJ Mayo. He, he filled in for me not too long ago. But he's going to be here next week continuing this thought of what does it look like to go beyond the first mile? If Christ has this claim on my life and your life, then what part of the world do we get rid of? And then how do we look deeper at these things that he's calling us to be and do? And then how does that affect my relationship with you and those around me? So this week, your, your, your marching orders for me, at least, are, are very simple. Go back and read through the Beatitudes. In fact, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this week. See Jesus teaching on beyond the first mile people. This is who we are called to be. And when it comes right down to it this week, maybe just show God's grace to everybody you meet. Try that. What would God do? What would Jesus do in this situation? Show God's grace to everyone you meet today, everyone you meet tomorrow, everyone you meet for the rest of your life, really. And go beyond the first mile this week for God and with God and for others. Do that this week. Do that the rest of your life as we stand and as we sing.